George Stratton was a psychologist uh, especially fascinated with the human eyeball and how it works. Uh, Stratton conducted a number of research experiments in the area of visual perception. And he did this one particular experiment that was pretty interesting where he created these lenses, he created these glasses that when he put them on, it allowed him to see everything in the world upside down. Uh, Absolutely upside down. It it just, it it made things look different. And, And just think about how difficult that would make things. Well, it changed everything he saw. And as a result of this experiment, he wore these lenses for a couple of weeks straight just to kind of record the effect that it had on his own life seeing the world upside down. And since then, a number of scientists have tried the very same experiment. They, they wore the same kinds of lenses, the lenses that made everything look upside down. I mean, can you imagine it? I mean, can you imagine driving home today and everything's upside down, the, the road and the cars are driving upside down, or, or you walk in the door from work this week and your kid comes running to you, and, but it, it's like they're running on the ceiling? Or you go to pour a glass of juice, but you're, you're really pouring upwards, you know, everything is, is just upside down. Um, well, with each experiment, here is what each eventually concluded. While at first it was awkward and a bit uncomfortable, after a while, they got used to it. They got used to seeing things upside down. They were able to adapt. And, and they figured it out. Their eyes adjusted. And with a little practice, they, they learned to read and they learned to write. They learned to ride a bike upside down. And at first it was rough, but eventually they learned to see the world through these upside-down lenses. Now, maybe you're new to church. Uh, Maybe you're new this morning. Uh, Maybe you're new to all of this Jesus stuff. You know, still kind of checking it out. new to the Bible. You know, maybe you grew up in a church that didn't spend a lot of time in the Word of God. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, you know, as you get to know the Bible more, there will be times in your life where some of the teaching, some of the things explained in the Bible will appear to be a little upside-down. They just seem to be a little different. They seem to be a little bit lopsided of sorts. I mean, it won't seem right to you. You'll read something in the Bible and you'll say to yourself, really, seriously? Like today in 2010? It just, it doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to really fit with the situation that we find ourselves in today. It, it kind of seems lopsided to everything you've been taught about the world. Well, the teachings of Jesus can be especially like this. If you really listen to what Jesus is saying in the life that he's calling to, it can seem a bit upside down. The teachings of Jesus can oftentimes feel countercultural or even counterintuitive. And and here's what I mean by that, that the teachings of Jesus don't just go against the values of the world. There are just times when they don't seem right. It just doesn't seem to make sense to the world that we live in. You know, it all seems upside down. I mean, think about some of the things that Jesus said. He said, it's better to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive. If you want to become great, you must become less. It's better to go last than it is to go first. If you want to find victory in life, then you have to admit defeat. You know, if you want to find life, you have to be willing to die. I mean, you hear these things, and at first glance, they don't make sense. It's almost as if they're a bit upside down. Well, New Testament scholars refer to this type of teaching as the great reversal. And if you're taking notes, you can write that down. They call it the great reversal. It's the great reversal of the Gospels or the first four books of the New Testament. It's where the teachings of Jesus turn everything upside down. They turn everything upside down then, and they turn everything upside down today. And and it's true. Jesus said things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
I mean, think about it. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, go ahead and turn them the other cheek and just let them punch you while they're at it, you know? Just go ahead and turn to the other side. Or Jesus described wealth as a great disadvantage. He said, it's really better that you'd be poor. And so the way that Jesus saw the world, it's different than the way that we see the world. Because, you know, in the world that we live in, we know how things work, don't we? I mean, we know how to survive. I mean, if someone strikes you on the cheek in this world, you file a lawsuit. That's how it works. All right? Or did your dad ever say this to you? I'm not giving you permission to start a fight, but you can finish the fight. All right? My dad said that before, but I know he didn't believe it because he saw how puny and wimpy I was, and he knew there was no way I was ever going to finish a fight. Uh, Jesus said, or, you know, or we, we live in a world like where we, you don't love your enemies, you defeat them. And, and in a world, if you want to be first, you don't humble yourself. You have to fight to advance. I mean, you, you fight to get to the front of the line. Well, over the next course of the next month, we're, we're going to be looking a little bit more closely at some of the teachings of Jesus. And, and there are going to be times when they seem a little upside down. They won't make sense. And I just want to challenge you to think about hanging with these words of Jesus. You know, today and in the weeks to come, and, and even as the gospel writer John says, he says, abide in the truth. It, it means to stick with the truth, even when it doesn't make sense. Stick with it. And then his promises, even though you might understand, over time, if you stick with it, the truth will set you free. That even these things that look somewhat upside down, over time, if you stick with it, if you trust God, if you even think about putting it into practice in your life, even the upside down, thing, upside down things can look right side up. John also writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, Whoever claims to live in him, whoever claims to live in Jesus, whoever calls themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus, must walk as Jesus did. And so if you're going to claim to be a Christian, if you're going to claim, uh, claim Jesus, then you must follow the teachings of Jesus. And in the upcoming weeks, we're going to try and better understand what that means. And, and my prayer is, my prayer is that over these next weeks, that as you and I, as we read and as we study these words of Jesus together, that you will consider them And you will think about and you will find ways of applying them to your life. I pray that God will give you a different set of lenses so that we might be able to see the world as he does. Well, we're looking at Luke chapter 14 this morning. And if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and go there right now. We're just going to look at two verses. But go to Luke chapter 14. And this morning is really kind of an introduction to this series. And in fact, if you're here And if you're new to all of this and maybe not even call yourself a Christian, which is just fine, we welcome you and we're glad that you're here, you kind of get a free pass this morning, actually. I'm just giving you permission to kick back and to listen and to process things as you choose. But I really want to talk to those who say, yes, I I follow Jesus, I'm committed to Jesus today, but we definitely invite you to be a part of it. But you kind of get a free pass. You kind of get the morning off and, and so you can kick back here with us and but we'll get into some of the specific upside-down teachings of Jesus in the weeks to come. But, but today, uh, not to say that it's not a bit lopsided, today, again, is a little bit more of an introduction. And so I want to start in Luke 14. And by this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus has become a very popular speaker. And the words of Luke chapter 14 help us understand that. And as a result of his teaching and his growing popularity, there was this large crowd of people that were following him wherever he went. And the Bible says they were amazed at his teaching, that he performed miracles, that he was kind and compassionate, that he could tell stories and he could teach parables like nobody's business, you know, and he explained things in such a way that people were drawn to him. I mean, Jesus, at this point in Luke 14, he had a lot of fans. 
and he still does even today. I don't know if you realize this or not, but even Jesus has a Facebook page. Has anybody seen this? Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, he's got a Facebook page. Uh, Evidently, Facebook has these fan pages where uh, different uh, high-profile people can have a fan page, and then you can go and become a friend or a fan of theirs, Uh, not just a friend, but actually become a fan. And as of Monday, on this particular page, Jesus had 6,783 fans, all right? But so Jesus, even today, has a fan page, but that's what's happening here in Luke chapter 14. There's a bunch of people following Jesus, and and they're great fans of him. And and there were a lot of people, they, they liked his miracles, and they liked his teaching and stuff. Well, starting in verse 25, Jesus is going to say something that will begin to thin out the crowd. Just a bit. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, a statement like that is going to cause some people to go ahead and walk away at this point. It's a lopsided statement. It's a bit upside down. And and we'll get into the heart of what Jesus is getting at in just a moment. But there's one thing that I want you to see and I want you to realize from the very start of of today, but even uh, even as we go along, and, and it's this. Jesus isn't real impressed with crowd size. Jesus is not overly caught up in the size of a crowd. And I really think that's worth keeping in mind as we continue to grow as a church. And hang with me, and I want to help you understand why, because I I think it's great and awesome. I mean, we've got some pretty big churches all around the U.S. today, and even the world. And it might be tempting at times to look at another church and look at all of the people who attend there and think, wow, they've really got it going on. And they may have. But Jesus doesn't get caught up into crowd size. He doesn't care about the size of the crowd. He's really not into numbers the way that we're into numbers. Nearly as much as he is interested in the level of commitment of those people who say we belong to him. Here in Luke, Jesus wasn't paying attention to his numbers. And here's what I think Jesus is thinking. And he's wondering, who's really paying attention to what I'm saying? Who's really listening? Now, I want to say something this morning. I want to be very careful in how I say this because I want you to understand my heart and I want you to understand my intent. I believe that what is happening right now at Genesis Church is an incredible thing. And I am so excited, so blessed to be a part of it. And I I hope that you're excited to be a part of it. I believe that God is in it. I gave him full responsibility for what's happening here. I believe he is leading I believe that no one is here by any sort of accident whatsoever. And I believe that we as a church have the opportunity to do something very special in Noblesville and Hamilton County and wherever God calls us to serve as a church. But unfortunately, I believe that what could happen if we allow it to is for Genesis to become nothing more than a building full of people who claim to be fans of Jesus. And Jesus wasn't looking for fans. Jesus is much more interested uh, in followers. He's not looking for admirers. And and I don't want that to happen here. 
And it would be so easy for this to become a meeting place where we come in once a week and we grab a cup of coffee and, and we sit down and we applaud and we enjoy what's happening and then we drive home and we give it a thumbs, or a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down experience and then we come back again next week and we do it again. It's so much easier to be a fan of Jesus, but Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's just not that into numbers. Jesus is much more interested in personal commitment. He's looking for followers. And so here's a question that, that I want to start with this morning and in the weeks to come as we go through this series that we're calling the Upside Down Way of Jesus. It's your question, and it's my question. Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a fan of Jesus and His church? Or are you a follower of Jesus and the work that he wants to do through this church? I mean, Jesus never once, he never once invited people to admire him. He was always inviting people to leave stuff behind and follow him. And that's what he's doing in Luke 25. He wasn't looking for perfect worship attendance. He was looking for people who were willing to practice exactly what he taught. Are you a fan of Jesus? right now in your life, or are you a follower of Jesus? Maybe, maybe even circle one right there on your notes and then hide it, cover it, so no one else can see what you did. You know, the, the church has a lot, of, I'm talking the church in general, has a lot of enthusiastic followers today, people who really like Jesus in their church, and they don't mind Jesus showing up, you know, once in a while and making some minor behavior modifications. I, I do that. I don't mind Jesus making some minor behavior modifications in me once in a while. But the problem is that we typically show up for services on Sunday and we're ready for Jesus to do some touch-up work when Jesus is ready to do complete renovation of our lives. Or, or we show up and, and we come and we wait for Jesus to do a quick tune-up, but Jesus is thinking radical overhaul. Jesus came to turn your life and others' lives upside down, not tweak them. Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? And Jesus didn't come to make fans. He came to raise up generations of people who say we're following that man. You know, and I believe that that's part of my responsibility, you know, as your pastor is just to keep that question out in front of us, that great reminder. And, and my role is to teach God's way, word in a way that it interferes with my life and it interferes with your life. So that we're continually asking, am I a fan right now of all this or am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Luke 14, 25, again it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now notice the interesting choice of words, they were traveling with Jesus. It doesn't say they were following Jesus. You know, there, there are a lot of great basketball games going on this weekend and this afternoon and then later on in the week with the, the, the big dance. Uh, I had the chance on Friday to go down and see the uh, first two games, the afternoon session of the Big Ten tournament. Uh, my team, the Illini, they, they won on Friday and then they, they lost yesterday. They blew it. But, you know, and I'm a huge sports fan, all right? I'm a big sports fan and, and it was just interesting. You know, it's always interesting to see all of the different types of fans that travel to a game and the uh, extremes that they are willing to go to. Uh, and so I thought it'd be kind of fun. I, I got on Google Images and found some pictures of some radical fans, some diehard fans that I thought would fun, be fun to show you. Now, there's this guy. 
I don't know his story, but I'll just assume a little bit. He's a diehard Jacksonville Jaguars football fan, and he took a lot of time to get prepared for this, only to find that once again his team lost to the Colts, as they do all of the time. Uh, I don't know what this guy's into. Uh, He's a diehard fan, but I'm a little nervous to find out what type of event he is at and who he's supporting. Uh, Lambo, you know, and you've got, you think I'm stupid, my brother's a Raiders fan, but what's most interesting to me about this fan is it is northern Wisconsin, and his shirt is off, all right, uh, and then this, this fan, uh, get a brain, Morans. <laughs> now, if you haven't gotten that yet, all right, and you gotta love NASCAR, you gotta love NASCAR fans, Ben Krause was trying to convince me that that was Jason Baker, I don't know if that's the case or not, but uh, big, big diehard NASCAR fan here. Uh, diehard fans. See, Jesus, uh, I don't, is Jesus into NASCAR? I'm not sure Jesus is into NASCAR. How many of you think Jesus is into NASCAR? Let's just see a few people, all right. Well, Jesus isn't looking for diehard fans. That, that's not what he's looking for. You know, Jesus has this large crowd with him, and it's like he's saying, don't think that because you're traveling with me that you're really following me. Don't think that because you applauded my teaching or my miracles or something that you're really following. Don't think that because you come to church once a week that it makes you a follower. There's a difference between traveling and following. There's a difference between fans of Jesus and a difference between followers of Jesus. You know, following the upside down way of Jesus requires incredible commitment. It's complete commitment. And I think many Christians, and I'm guilty of this too, I think many Christians, and I'm guilty of this too, can so easily get into this mode of practicing selective commitment. You know, we customize our Christian experience. It's where we make a decision to follow Jesus, but we kind of pick and choose the areas that we're willing to serve him in. And so like this, you know, one day we'll say, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, I trust him with my life, but don't ask me to forgive that person. Don't you dare ask me to forgive that person. I'm not willing to let go of that resentment. Or, or, or we'll say, you know what, I'm into the Jesus thing, but don't, don't expect me uh, to love as Jesus loved. Don't expect me to show compassion as Jesus did, because I'm just not into that sort of compassionate thing. Or I'll trust Jesus, but don't you dare talk about my money, because my money, that's my part. Of my, that, that, that's my part. I am selective uh, in, in allowing you to have certain areas of my life, Jesus, and that's just not one of them. Or I'm into Jesus, but don't ask me to abstain from my sexual desires because I can't help these and I'm not willing to wait. It's the selective Christianity. It's this picking and choosing. It's what I want and when I want it. And the problem is that Jesus never once in all of Scripture offered an opportunity for selective commitment. It's just not there. It's all or nothing. It doesn't work to say I'm going to trust Jesus but then follow him in the areas of my life that are most comfortable to me, but not in the areas that I don't like. He never gave that option to any of his crowds that day. He hasn't provided that for us. It's all or nothing. We've stripped it down to make it most convenient for our own lifestyle. Now, I want to show you uh, one example of this fan or follower reality in the church today. And it's a little startling. And unfortunately, some recent reports have suggested some disturbing news. But here's what we are seeing today, according to one report. Again, this is just one example, that we're entering into this time where there is this increasing disconnect from people who call themselves Christians and followers of Jesus. You know, people who actually live it out in their lives. I want to show you some stats from this recent study. Now, these stats speak for polled Christians, 
These are only Christians that that were asked these questions, born-again Christians. And I want to show you some areas where Christians would say these things are morally acceptable. Uh, We're looking at born-again Christians, uh, ages 42 and up, uh, that cohabitation, people living together, is morally acceptable. Born-again Christians, 33%. That sexual thoughts or fantasies or lust is okay, 35%. That sex outside of marriage is okay. Again, people 42 and over saying, born-again Christians, yes, it's okay, 23%. Getting drunk, 13%. Abortion, 27%. Sex with someone of the same sex, 13%. You know, people today who say, I follow Jesus, and this is the way that I've customized my experience, and so I believe that these things are okay. Now, let's look at my generation, ages 23 to 41. These, again, are born-again Christians. Same question. Cohabitation goes from 33% to 59%. Lust goes from 35% to 57%. Sex outside of marriage goes from 23% to 44%. Getting drunk goes from 13% to 35%. Abortion goes from 27% to 32%. Sex with someone of the same sex goes from 13% to 28%. That's one generation Just one generation of change of people who made a decision with their life to say, I follow Jesus, and at the same time are saying, these things are okay, these things are acceptable. I follow Christ, but this is the path I have customized for myself. Now, there's one more statistic that I want to show you. Again, it's of those ages 42 and over. The percentage of those 42 and over born-again Christians who would say that they were absolutely committed and sold out to the teachings of Jesus is 48%. Okay, ages 42 and over, 48%. Now, my generation, 23 to 41, absolutely committed to their Christian faith, 29%. That call themselves followers of Jesus, but have kind of customized their own experience, or or even saying, I'm absolutely committed, only 29% were willing to say that. It's difficult for me to believe that you can say that you follow Jesus unless you're absolutely committed to his teachings. I mean, Jesus didn't offer us a second option. You can't say, I follow Jesus, but I'm not absolutely committed. He never gave us that option. We created that one. Now, now hang with me for a second. I want you to see where we're going with this. this This is one example. I want to say a few things as it relates to these stats, but more importantly to the upside-down way of following Jesus. The first thing is that when it comes to following Jesus, I want you to see and remember that he never gave us the option of selective commitment. I'm just being honest with you. It's not there. If you say you're a Christian, then by definition, you're aligning yourself with Jesus in the Bible, and doing that which contradicts what Jesus teaches is an option not given to us. Now, I'm not saying that you and I won't stumble in these areas. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that Christians won't battle alcoholism and lust. I'm not saying Christians won't be tempted with sin or even fail in sin. But here's the thing, and I want you to catch this. There is a difference between stumbling and failing and choosing to say, I am fine with these. I am going to customize my own experience, my own way of following Jesus. There is a difference. There's a second thing that I want to say, and I want to be very clear on this one too. There is a tendency in the church today to think that the way we blot out sin is to shine a brighter light on these quote-unquote sin areas. You know, the tendency is to look at these stats and say, here's what we'll do. We'll get angrier. We'll start throwing stuff, or 
or we'll ask our preacher to start screaming, you know, from the stage or something. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the fires of hell, you know, more than we ever have before. And we're not going to do that. Now, here's what I think. I, I believe in the responsibility laid on me to teach the Word of God. I, I believe in the importance of speaking on moral issues and even talking about some controversial issues, even when it's not fun. But here's the problem we're running into today, and this is what this study kind of suggests. More and more Christians and non-Christians are identifying Christianity as a moral code. Rather than understanding that Christianity is an invitation to follow Jesus. Now, we too often define Christianity as all about keeping a set of standards and rules that will hopefully make God happy, that God will be happy with us, rather than following the way and the life of Jesus. And when we do this, we run the risk of saying that Christianity is all about rules and laws, but that's not what Christianity is. It's not about rules and laws. It's about following Jesus. It's saying, I want to be like him. I need him. I can't do this on my own. And I want him and I want to be like him. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe in in, in personal holiness and godliness. But when you make a decision to follow Jesus, I believe you are making him the Lord of your life. And and therefore, you and I should work to live as he lived and, and the life that he calls us to. But it's troubling when Christians are more excited to tell you about the sins they have avoided in their life then show you how they're becoming more and more like Jesus in the way they treat others and the way they live and the way that they show love. And I think it's interesting to take note of of one last thing here that this study concluded and as a pastor friend of mine suggested, it's dangerous for our children to grow up thinking that Christianity is nothing more than a moral code. Because here's what happened. The alarming trend seems to suggest that if a young person grows up thinking that Christianity is rules and laws instead of following Jesus, the belief is that eventually they'll just walk away from both of them altogether. Let's invite our children to be followers of Jesus. Let's invite our children to model him. Let's point to him with our life and with our example and with what the Bible teaches and say, let's be like that man and how we treat others, and how we live. And as they do this, I, I believe they will become more and more aware of his teachings and the life that he's called us to. Christianity is about following Jesus. It's about saying with your life and your heart, I want to be like this man. Now, where does that leave us this morning? Well, it's a lot to think about, and it's kind of a starting place again for this series. I mean, it really is. But take our mission statement, for example. Our mission as a church is to help people find their way back to God. We play the helping part. We help people find their way back to God. And and here's what that looks like for you and me. Our ability to reach others, to share the love of God with others, uh, has everything to do with the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Uh, We don't change lives. Only God, only the Holy Spirit can can change a heart. But let's just take it one more step if we can. And and here's what I want to get to. Your ability, my ability, our ability to reach people for Jesus has everything to do with the level of commitment you are willing to make to the one who has invited you to follow him. I'm going to say that again. My ability, your ability, our ability to reach people for Jesus has everything to do with the level of commitment you are willing to make to the one who has invited you to follow him. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Fans admire his teaching. Followers practice his teaching. 
Now, I was thinking about what that means for me. Because I can make a pretty good fan of Jesus. I, I can get all excited about Jesus and I can get behind issues and I can get behind causes and I am guilty of measuring my worth with the sins that I avoid in my life. It's always been a downfall for me. And I can cut myself down at the same time by the sins that I commit and fail in, allow these to tear me down. And again, I'm not suggesting that those things don't matter, but I don't want to be a fan of Jesus. You know, I I don't want you to ever look at me and say, well, our, our pastor, man, he's a great fan of Jesus. I mean, he really gets into him. But I'd love for you to be able to say, our pastor follows Jesus. I mean, with his family, with his life in church, and and when he's outside of the church, and the people that he comes in contact with, I don't want to get comfortable with my faith and my life. I I don't want to get to the place where I think I've got it all figured out, where all of a sudden the teachings of Jesus, like, oh, that's an old one, you know, yeah, I've got that one, I've got that one all covered or whatever. But I want the teachings of Jesus to change me and ruin me, not just a, uh, Jesus tweaking me, but, you know, complete overhaul, you know, radical change. I, I want to see the world through his eyes, you know, whether it be to see the people of Haiti through Jesus' eyes or to see the people of Noblesville through Jesus' eyes, to see the people on Pleasant Street through Jesus' eyes or the people that live on my street through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And that's what I believe it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's committed people living like him. Now verse 26, large crowds, here's that uh, lopsided down statement that Jesus makes. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, Jesus said, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now here, disciple is another word for follower. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a Christian, uh, here's what's required. And it's strong language. I mean, this is way upside down. Okay, this is no doubt. Jesus is saying, by comparison to how much you love me, it must be so radical that it almost appears that you hate your own life and even hate your own family, by comparison. Now, we have to culturally understand what's happening here that gives credence to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking in a culture where if these people chose to follow Jesus and all of his upside-down ways chances are that their families would not approve. And if you did something that your parents did not approve of, it was like you were saying, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. And so that's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is basically saying, as you consider following me, it might come to this for you, that you will completely be disowned and abandoned by your family. Now, when you think about your personal life, and when you think about your faith and your place with Jesus or God this morning, what do you see? Now, where, where do you see yourself right now? Are you, a, are you a fan of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? I mean, fans are loyal, no doubt about it. I mean, they show up regularly, they get involved, they, they make minor adjustments from, from time to time, but, but followers say, I, I get it. Followers say, I, I need this because I can't do it on my own. Followers say, I I want this. And and sure, my life is a little cracked. It's a little beaten up around the edges. But as a follower, I am saying with my life that Jesus matters. That that he changes everything. That he changes me. That I am committed to him. I am committed to his ways, his teachings. And that I believe I can make a difference with my life. And sure, I don't get it all right now. 
some of these things sure seem a bit upside down to me, but I am committed to sticking with them. I haven't yet arrived, and I won't arrive until the day that Jesus comes, but I am committed to becoming more like Him with my life, everything that I do, every single day. Now, some of you might be wondering, is it really possible? Can I do this? Can can I really say that I'm a follower of Jesus, but still go live Monday through Saturday? Because you have no idea the world, the, the situations, the environments that I'm living in right now. I mean, I hear it, I get it, but the world's tough. My school's tough. My office environment is tough. My college buddies, you know, I love them, but it's a tough group for me. I mean, it's so hard to live in this world and call yourself a follower of Jesus and then carry that outside of Sundays. I mean, it it will cost me something. And Jesus wanted that to be very clear to these people here in in Luke chapter 14, that following Jesus, that following Him will, will cost you something. But when you think about following Jesus and when you think about the challenging world that we live in right now or the world that you're living in right now, as complicated and as difficult as, as it is, here's what I want to say. As you think about how, how can I possibly think about my spiritual life and my regular, you know, Monday through Saturday life coming together, you know, say that I'm a follower of Jesus, that I'm committed to Him, that I want to be like Him more and more. Here, here's what I want to propose to you today. I want to humbly propose that you can do both. And the way that you do that is, is to quit looking at life as two different experiences, that this spiritual life and this regular life, and look to consolidate them into one. You know, that the same person you want to be on Sunday is the same person that you strive to be tomorrow morning at the office or at Wednesday night at the parents' meeting, or Saturday when you're with your kids. It's not about living two lives. Fans live two lives. Followers of Jesus live just one. And I I want you to know that I believe you can do it. I believe that I can do it. I believe that we can do it as a church. And I want you to hear this as we get into this series, as we look at these various teachings of Jesus. And at time, they may seem upside down to you, but it's about giving everything to the one who gave everything he had to you. And then I want to conclude with just saying this this morning. To those of you that are here today and those that maybe I kind of gave the free pass on, I did have something for you. I kind of fibbed. If somewhere along the way someone gave you the wrong impression of God or of Jesus and it was one who claimed to be a follower but maybe they were actually in reality just a fan, will you please accept our sincerest apologies this morning? And I want to be very clear for you today that God sent His Son Jesus Christ to this world to die for you. He gave his life for you and for your sin. He offered you forgiveness as he offered me forgiveness. And he has offered you an invitation to a new life. And it has nothing to do with what you've accomplished or the moral code that you've tried or not been able to live by or keep. 
His invitation is for you to simply receive His love and say, from this day forward, I want Jesus and I want to be like that man. Let's pray. God, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with ever just claiming to be radical fans of Jesus, but that we would be set on following Him down those paths that uh, we don't want to take or that we've looked away from for some time. God, we want to be followers of Jesus. We want to be followers of, of that man and the life that he's lived and the life that he has called us to. And God, we believe that you can show us the way. And as we think about our role as a church, as we think about our personal responsibility each and every single day of our life, the environments that you call us to, will you help us live like Jesus? To forgive as he forgives, to show compassion as he shows compassion, to love as he loves. And we pray that his changing, or his teachings and, and, and his way of life would change us every day and that we would always be committed to this. I, I pray for men and women, for guys and girls here today, God, who somewhere along the way got the wrong impression of Jesus. And maybe we're responsible. We mixed it up, we messed it up, we said the wrong things. God, would you show them the true message this morning with absolute clarity. That show us the power of your grace and of your love. That you are a God of forgiveness, that you are a God of new life. That you don't call us to a moral code, but you call us to a new way of living. A way of hope and of life because of Jesus and what he's already done. We thank you for that clear message and we offer this to you as our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.